Well, um, most of you know me. Some of you are, are um, new faces to me, and so you may not know me, so I'll just do a quick introduction. My name is Michael Whitney. Um, let me see. I work with the Navigators. So my official role right now is I am the Division Director for the Navigators in the Disciple Makers for Life mission from Maine to Virginia. So I'm responsible also for the works that are going on in Boston, New York City, and Washington, D.C. And there's a variety of different works in those cities. Uh, so I do a lot of traveling. And I, I previously served as the pastor here for two and a half years and worked with Jonah. And it was one of my great privileges to work with such a uh, smart and humble man like Jonah. Um, and so it was really fun to be with him for these last two years from, what was it, to a 20, I don't remember the dates, anyway, for two and a half years. <laughs> so my wife, Norelle, here, and our youngest son, Paul, there, he is the youngest of 11 children. Um, and so after the gasps, um, we, uh, five of our children are married, uh, are out, um, and uh, we have three at home. Some of you might remember David. David, who is now David, uh, he just graduated from high school in May and is now serving with the Navigators in Colorado Springs at Eagle Lake Camp for the summer. He'll come back for, I think, a week. He'll serve out at Chop Point for a week. <laughs> we'll see him for a couple days before he heads out to Messiah University uh, to study engineering. So what I want to do today is, you notice that we had a couple of uh, verses spoken, uh, we had a call to worship. Believe it or not, they do all connect. Uh, and so I'm going to share a story today uh, from Genesis in, in basically following the revised common lectionary work that Jonah is doing this year. So I'm stepping into place with him, and so my sermon uh, will be in that place. I think this is called Ordinary Week 3 or something, which I wasn't used to until I listened to a couple of Jonah's sermons. I realized, oh, uh, th that doesn't mean that it's an ordinary sermon, uh, although it might be. <laughs> <laughs> but it just means that the days, this is ordinary life, time when we grow in our walks with God uh, during this time. Have you ever felt invisible? Have you ever felt invisible? That feeling like you don't matter, you aren't seen, or you don't have a voice? Have you ever felt that way? Maybe in the middle of a conversation, no one seems to care what you have to say. You're trying to get a word in edgewise. Everybody seems to be talking to each other, and you're like, uh, uh, excuse me, <laughs> I have something to share. Or how about this one? You're standing in line. And someone who just showed up gets served before you do. Has that ever happened to you? Did you feel kind of invisible? Like, excuse me, I was here. Or you walk down a street, and people bump into you. And they say, oh, excuse me, I didn't see you there. And you mutter under your breath, yeah, that's the story of my life. You ever been there? Have you ever felt invisible? You wonder if you're even a person. Well, I was in New York City a couple weeks ago 
uh, with our staff team down there, and we were attending a two-day seminar led by some dear friends on the topic of core lies. Core lies. Core lies are an idea that you came to believe about yourself based on certain life experiences that you went through, or maybe comments that key people like your dad said about you, and you believed it, and you took it in and put it right there. These ideas are called core lies because they're not true. But you came to believe them. Things like, I'm worthless, I don't matter, I'll never measure up to anything. They're not true, but you came to believe them before you understood what God said is true about you. Maybe before you were a Christian or before you studied the Word of God. The key idea of that seminar is to bring these core lies into the light of Scripture, God's truth, and begin to live out what God actually says about you, that you are loved, that you are valuable to Him. That's what the whole context was. So, so I was down there, I think it was about two weeks ago, June 1st and 2nd, maybe three weeks ago. During the seminar, the Lord gave me an opportunity to reckon with an age-old legacy feeling that I had when I was young, an age-old legacy feeling, a feeling of deep insecurity, and you may not believe this one, lack of confidence socially. Yeah. It's something that the Lord has resolved over the last several decades with time in His Word, but that feeling is surprisingly triggered sometimes. It's triggered every now and then, and I thought, you know, this might be a good time to actually bring it before the Lord and find out what that, what's that all about anyway. So I did that, and during one of the exercises we were asked to give an image, to identify an image that characterizes um, this core lie. And the Lord, as I meditated on it, the Lord gave me this, village, this image of a ghost or an invisible, being invisible. Because of that sense that I didn't matter, wasn't seen, and couldn't be heard. So in a conversation, it's going on, and I'm trying to get in, and, I, and I, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. When we had the chance to share that image, I was surprised when another close friend who I really looked up to shared that she had the same image. So we agreed to talk about it as we walked across Manhattan uh, that evening as a group to get dinner. So we did, we talked about it. Funny as we walked, funny as we walked, the number of people that bumped into us and said, oh, excuse me, I didn't see you there. <laughs> or in New York style, didn't say anything at all. Like we were invisible. Isn't, it was just surprising that, that, that that actually happened as we were walking down the street. Well, a sense of invisibility is what we see in the story we'll look at today in Genesis 21. It's actually embedded in that story. It's a story that actually starts in Genesis 16. So I'll have to reach back there before we get started. My hope, my hope for this sermon is that you will believe that you are visible, valued, and loved by a God who sees and hears you, which is the title of this sermon. Before we get started, let's pray. Lord God, we want to know you. We want to know the God who actually is, the one who says, I am, 
Lord, we want to know not the one that we make up in our minds, not the one that we, people tell, the world tells us about. We want to know the God who actually is, who in this story is identified as the God who sees and the God who hears. Lord God, we want to know you that way. And Father, we want to understand what that means to us. So Lord, I pray, God, for each one of us here, that you would open up our hearts to you, that we might understand you that way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you remember last week, Jonah preached on the idea that God is the keeper of promises. Remember that? So I was here, I listened to it. God is the keeper of promises, and that he kept his promise to Abraham and Sarah, remember how? By giving them a child. And that child's name was Isaac, which means, anybody? Laughter, or he laughs, right. The problem was, there was a problem here, the problem was that Abraham already had another son named Ishmael a son by a surrogate mother named Hagar, who, uh, who was Sarah's servant. So Hagar was Sarah's servant. And Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham as a wife. Sarah did this thinking that she could have a baby through Hagar to give to Abraham because she couldn't have one. After years of trying, she couldn't have a baby. So she thought... I'll give Abraham Hagar to have a baby through. What Sarah didn't seem to realize was that Hagar was actually a person, not an object through which to get a baby. (laughs) That's what's going on in this story. Hagar is actually a person. Hagar was, in a sense, invisible to Sarah. And Hagar probably felt invisible, probably. You know, invisible people are actually all around us in our society today. Uh, Eight o'clock in the morning on Sunday mornings, most Sunday mornings nowadays from January until uh, basically two weeks ago, taking a quick break, I am on a micro church for those affected by incarceration. It's led by our Boston city leader, uh, Craig, and we meet with a small group. It's about 12 people. We study the Bible. We spend time in, we've been spending time in Isaiah. And the whole idea is to focus on how to help these, these people who are affected by incarceration, whether it's the inmates themselves or families affected by incarceration. And because I uh, ministered with John Schwander for 16 years down at Cumberland County F- uh, Correction Facility, I felt like I had a piece of that or some history from which to leverage. John actually uh, did that for 20 years, four years after I left. But uh, three weeks ago, they asked me to lead the Bible study. And, and uh, because my friend's favorite chapter in Isaiah was coming up, he said, uh, why don't you preach on something else, Mike? <laughs> So I get to do Isaiah 43. I'm like, okay. So I said, well, I'm working on this one with Hagar. I don't know if it fits, but let's, let's look at these chapters. So I studied this chapter with this microchurch of people, and, 
And we talked about invisible people and how the people who are inmates, and actually there's an inmate that calls in from MCI Shirley. Every, he's, he's in there for life, natural life sentence, and he calls in every Sunday. He has to keep calling in because they have a 20-minute limit. Anyway, he is one of those invisible people. And as we talked about these scriptures about invisibility and the God who sees, his, he, I, I can't see him because he calls in, but he got excited about the idea that I am not invisible to God. So anyway, I just share that because there are invisible people all around us, and when we don't see them, we add to that invisibility. Anyway, let me get back to Genesis 16. We read about how Hagar was treated harshly by Sarah when Hagar realized that she was pregnant. And she looked on her former mistress, or I guess her continuing mistress, she looked with a sense of superiority toward her. Look, I was able to get pregnant. She didn't say that, but she looked upon her with what the Bible calls contempt. And Sarah noticed it. She noticed it. Well, what gives you the right to feel anything about the baby that's within you? Almost as if to say. <laughs> so Sarah treated her harshly. This is in Genesis 16. And Hagar ran away. It was then that the Lord found her and told her to return to Sarah, which most of us, most of us look at saying, really? That's good news? returned to Sarah, and gave her a promise to multiply her, her offspring into multitudes. The Lord named her son Ishmael, which means God hears. God hears. And Hagar named God the God who sees. She said, you are the God of seeing you are the God who sees me. Do you catch the irony there? God named her son Ishmael, and she came up with the name of God, El Roy, which means God sees. And that's part of the God who is. <laughs> the God who actually is. That's what he's like. He sees. Perhaps for the very first time, she realized she was actually a person visible and valued by God himself because he heard her, he saw her. And this made all the difference to her. This was the one thing that touched her heart. She went back to Sarah under the same circumstances which you would think of, well, what's the good news there? But the good news for her was she knew that she was seen and valued and visible and heard by God. Okay. So she went back to Sarah, and she gave birth to Ishmael. God, hear, God hears. Fast forward 14 years. 14 years go by. Ishmael is a teenager now. And God has kept his promise to Abraham and Sarah. You heard the story last week. And he's given them a son named Isaac. And so our story picks up on Genesis 21, 8 through 21. It says, and the child grew, I'll read it for you, um, and the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah, Sarah saw 
the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. She saw, she saw Ishmael playing with Isaac and laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave with her son, this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy, because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will multiply a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. Wow, it's a tough one to see. We'll talk about it. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water, and he gave it to, to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Which is interesting. He's a teenager. She put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. Some people call it about a football field, 300 feet. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe more. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. There's a wordplay here we'll talk about in a minute. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes. It's another word play. And she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up, and he lived in the wilderness, and he became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Hagar was an Egyptian slave. So, just interesting connection there. Well, okay, so let's go back to the first part of that story. And the child grew up and was weaned, and Abraham made a great, great feast. It was a, it was a special occasion, the day that Isaac, the son of promise, was weaned. But what made it special? It meant that the life of the child was now established. It was a point in maturity in the life of the child when there was a good level of confidence excuse me, that, they would, that he would live and grow to become Abraham's heir. So he threw a feast, big feast, big party. At the celebration, Ishmael, the teenage son of Hagar, was playing with Isaac the toddler. It says that Ishmael was laughing at Isaac, or some translations say making fun of him or mocking him. When Sarah saw it, she became indignant. Remember what happened 14 years later? She, you know, um, was harsh with, with uh, Hagar. 
And she became indignant and told Abraham to cast him out, he and his mother. What's odd here is what triggered that was laughter. And she remarked in Genesis 21.6, if you looked right down there, when Isaac was born, she said, God has made laughter for me and everyone who hears me will laugh. But this laugh triggered her. Perhaps she meant laugh with me. (laughs) But what Ishmael maybe was doing was more laughing at Isaac, mocking or making fun of him. I don't know. I do know what the Apostle Paul said about that particular event. If you flip over, you don't have to do this, but afterward, maybe we'll talk about it. In Galatians 4.29, this is how the Apostle Paul comments on this particular event. He says, but just as, as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, referring to Ishmael, persecuted him, Isaac, who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now. Little sentence, but Paul viewed that as emblematic, emblematic of persecution, uh, mocking. Interesting comment from the Apostle Paul. You know, if you're wanting to have a commentary on Scripture, some of the best places to find commentaries on Scripture is the Scriptures. And so in this case, Paul comments on this story. It's kind of fun. Well, Paul used this story when he wrote the letter to the Galatians to point out the primary, the big thing he was doing, and we could look at this afterward in the uh, after review if you want. He used this story to point out the difference between trying to live in Christ by the law and living out the freedom in Christ by the Spirit. He points back to this story to make that point, the difference between trying to follow Christ by law, legalism, and trying to follow Christ by the Spirit of freedom. That's what he's talking about. But that's a different sermon. And maybe next time I'll come back and preach that sermon. (laughs) That's a great one. In this story, we see that Sarah wanted to make it clear that Isaac was Abraham's heir, not Ishmael. Sarah had that in mind. Isaac is the heir, not Ishmael. So she told Abraham to cast him out. And like you read, that was not at all pleasing to to Abraham. He was very displeased by that. And God came in to reassure him that he would take care of them and that he would make a nation of Ishmael. A different nation, but a nation all the same, because he was Abraham's offspring. That was what's going on between God and Abraham here, assuring him. So we see how Abraham needed to trust God with his son Ishmael, giving him up to God. Does it sound like a story you might have heard about? Giving him up to God, just as he would later, in the next chapter, be asked by God to give up Isaac. And trust God with Isaac. But in chapter 21, he needed to trust God with Ishmael. And Jonah will preach on that story of God asking Abraham to give up Isaac next week. That's the next in the series. Both of these stories, both of these stories remind us that God gave up his only son, that whoever believes in him, Jesus, 
should not perish but have everlasting life. God did that in John 3.16. And as we follow Christ, as we follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, He calls us to give up our lives for Him. That's what lordship means. To die to sin and live to God as described in Romans um, in the Romans passage that Brett just read. That's what he calls us to do. Is this, this, this story is emblematic of, Jesus, of God giving up Jesus for us and of us giving up our lives for him. It's a theme of the scriptures. And God was going to take care of Ishmael, and he did. Now back to the story. So Abraham sent her away with some provisions, and she and Ishmael wandered in the wilderness. When their provisions were used up, she left Ishmael under a bush and sat down a good distance away. You don't, and I don't blame her. Not wanting to see her son die of thirst and starvation. Pretty gruesome. She just didn't want to see it. As she sat there, she lifted up her voice and wept. We don't know what she said or cried out to God. But perhaps it was a little bit like the psalm that Hannah read for our call to worship. Be gracious to me, O Lord. Remember, she already had the experience. She knew she was dealing with a God who sees and a God who hears. That was 14 years earlier. Now she was struggling. And she lifted up her voice. Maybe it was something like Psalm 86. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all the day. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. She knew that now. I wonder if Hagar at this point remembered what she learned 14 years ago when she realized that God does see and hear. He does see her, and he hears her, even when no one else does. When she feels invisible for everybody else, she's not invisible to God. So she lifted up her voice, and it says that God heard the voice of the boy. The God who hears heard the voice of the boy named Ishmael, which, says, which means God hears. That's the word play. In the, in the, in, so if you catch it, if you read carefully. The God who hears heard the voice of the boy named Ishmael, whose name means God hears. <laughs> okay. Um, and he told Hagar not to fear, to lift him up, hold him fast with her hand, for God would make him into a great nation. And then God, Elroy, the God who sees, here's the other word play, opened her eyes and she saw a well. The God who sees opened up her eyes and she saw a well of water. They drank of it. They both lived. Ishmael went on to have 12 children. Norell and I only had 11. Ishmael had 12, and he became a nation. Okay, so that's the story. That's the story that we read today. So what can we learn from it? What can we apply to our lives from this story, Mike? Come on. Well, for me, the primary lesson that stood out to me is that I am that we are not invisible to God. We're not. God sees me. 
He sees you. You matter to him. He hears your voice when you cry out. Even if you don't feel like anyone else does, he does hear it. And the idea that it's always struck me funny that what happened to to Hagar was that God heard her, heard the voice of the boy. But she calls him the God who sees. And this idea of having a voice or not feeling like you have a voice and feeling invisible, they're actually connected. They're not, they're not apart from each other. They're actually connected. You matter to God. He hears your voice. He cares about what you have to say. You are a person to God. Even if you don't feel like you're a person, you are a person to Him. You are valuable to Him. He knows things about you that you don't even know. Like as Brett read, the number of hairs on your head. He knows that. You don't even know that. Some of us, it's easier to count than others. <laughs> well, I won't embarrass anybody. <clears throat> he sees you. He hears you. He knows you. He loves you. He values you. So when the world feels like you don't ma- makes you feel like you don't matter, that you aren't worth listening to, When you conclude from that that you are worthless and without value, I appeal to you to renounce those lies. Renounce them. They're not true. They're not true. Believe what God says about you. That you are visible, valued, and loved by God. And that's why he sent Jesus. That's why he gave up his only son, In exchange for you, he paid a high price for you to save you and me from our sins and to transfer us into the family of God, the family of love. That's the gospel. And that's the gospel that I'm praying that each one of us will warm and welcome to today. God sees you. And those terrible things that happened to you, maybe they did, those terrible things that happened to you, those things that made you feel worthless and without value, God saw that too. He was watching. He saw that too. He knows what happened. And in his sovereign plan, we trust that he knows what he's doing. But I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that he was blind to what happened. It doesn't mean that he doesn't feel something about what happened. He was neither blind nor apathetic. And just as Jesus sent, just as God sent Jesus to save us, and I'm going to quote from Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, that's what the verse says, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who do you have to prove yourself to? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is indeed right this very minute interceding for every one of us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? What? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, mocking, making fun of? Famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, neither things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Did he leave anything out? I don't think he left anything out. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you and I from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gospel of Jesus. You are visible, valued, and loved. God sees you. He hears you. He knows what happened, what is happening, and what will happen. And he loves you dearly. He paid the highest price to have you, to save you, and to love you. Let's walk in that truth. Hagar, you are not invisible. God sees you. He knows what happened, and he cares about you. You're not off his radar. You and I, are visible, valued, and loved by a God who sees and hears. Amen? (laughs) Okay, let's pray. Lord God, I know that I am visible, valued, and loved by you. I know this because you gave your only son, Jesus, for me. While he was on earth, he said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, referring to himself, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Lord, you see me now. You saw me then. You hear me when I cry out to you. Lord, I believe you. I believe in you. I believe that you loved me so much that you gave Jesus in exchange for me. Thank you for saving me and giving me life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.